Adjust the headphones today. Got some new headgear for the show tonight. Visible on our Facebook live stream, which you can check out by searching for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson in Facebook. Like our page. Set your notifications to be notified when we go live and make other posts. I am wearing my very own, personally owned, purchased today from the Republican Party of Minnesota, Make America Great Again hat. My own MAGA hat. Did you ever think you'd see the day, Bran? No. <laughs> Very subdued mood over there in the on the other side of the glass tonight. I just am beside myself. Beside himself. And you know, that response is not unique. I'm, I was actually quite taken aback. I did not think this was going to be nearly as big of a deal as it has turned out to be today. But apparently there there were a, a fair number of people who were vested one way or the other in whether or not I was going to put on this hat, whether or not I was going to buy it, whether or not I, I had gone MAGA. And, you know, we can talk at some point and, you know, we can talk about this throughout the night today because it's not what I want to start off the show with. But we can talk about what it means to be MAGA, what it means to be a Trump supporter. You know, have I sold my soul? Am I now all in on building the wall or, you know, any other policy differences that I have had with Trump in the past? You know, what exactly is at stake here? What does this mean? And it's relevant to the many other things we're going to talk about tonight. Once again, primarily centering around the situation with Brett Kavanaugh. And the effort to get him confirmed in spite of massive, total war, salt the earth opposition from the Democrats, from the left, who have decided, who decided before he was even the nominee, that they were going to do whatever it took to frustrate literally anyone who Donald Trump put up for the seat vacated by Anthony Kennedy's retirement. But before we get into talking about all that, I wanted to touch back upon you know the re- the real obvious hypocrisy that people have been pointing out, rightfully so, and to to no response, like nobody on the left is actually addressing this. The hypocrisy evident in the context of the Brett Kavanaugh situation, when juxtaposed against Karen Monahan and her accusations against Keith Ellison, who, of course, is seeking the Office of Attorney General here in the state of Minnesota. And I want to get into that here shortly. Closing argument is the name of the program. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We're streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. You can find us. By doing a search for closing argument in your iHeartRadio app, we got a page there that has all of our previous episodes, podcasts, interviews, and the like. You can join us tonight at 651-989-5855. Brad Omen taking those calls and producing the show. So a couple of relevant news pieces. We talked about this one yesterday. A county attorney who was asked to look further into the Minnesota DFL party's investigative report of a domestic abuse allegation against U.S. Representative Keith Ellison said Tuesday that he would not do so without additional review by law enforcement. This is actually from today from the Star Tribune. 
Minneapolis City Attorney Susan Siegel, who received the report Monday from the DFL, forwarded it to Dakota County Attorney James Backstrom to avoid a conflict of interest, given that Ellison's son serves on the Minneapolis City Council. And they go on to describe, you know, kind of a, a, a passing of the buck and a kicking of the can between different agencies regarding, you know, basically the non-investigation into the allegations made by Karen Monahan. The piece from the Strib yesterday that we talked about, the Minnesota DFL on Monday referred an internal report on a domestic abuse claim against Keith Ellison to local authorities for further investigation after an attorney hired by the party found the claim could not be substantiated. Weird. I didn't even know that was a consideration. I thought we were just supposed to believe women regardless of substantiation. The decision promises to keep alive lingering allegations against the DFL candidate for attorney general who has denied that he tried to drag a former girlfriend, Karen Monahan, off the bed during a fight in 2016. You know, isn't the very fact that he's denying it, isn't that some sort of microaggression? Like, isn't that basically just an admission of guilt, denying that this ever happened? For the purpose of objectivity and getting all the facts regarding these allegations, we have decided to forward the information in the investigation to local authorities in order to let them review the contents and determine whether further investigation is warranted. That was a statement released Monday afternoon by Ken Martin, chairman of the DFL. But the, the, the money quote here is from the lawyer that they hired uh, in order to pursue this. And uh, they, they say that he says at some point something along the lines of an allegation onto itself is not enough to verify that the conduct occurred. And this is amazing. It's, it's astounding that a Democratic attorney in response to allegations of misconduct, physical abuse by one of their candidates would make that claim out of one side of their mouth while at the exact same time forwarding the opposite notion in their continued attacks against Brett Kavanaugh. And so I want to talk a little bit about why this is. why Because we all know, like it's established, Amy Klobuchar, who of course has elevated her profile now after her back and forth with Brett Kavanaugh during the Senate Judiciary Committee meeting last Thursday. You know, she's, she's all aglow with the national attention she's receiving. Her 2020 prospects for challenging Donald Trump for President of the United States have been elevated. And so she's just a Twitter. She's so excited about herself. And, you know, she was asked about Ellison in the aftermath of this last week, the attention she received. Uh, some enterprising journalist dared to breach the subject of, hey, don't you have a uh, a top Democrat, the deputy of the Democratic National Committee and a candidate for attorney general in your state who's also been accused of sexual misconduct? Where do you stand on that? And it was, um, e, uh, mm, I don't know, uh. I'm going to campaign with my ticket when the time comes. That was her direct quote. I'm going to campaign with my ticket. Boy, that's noncommittal and uh, as open-ended as you can possibly get. So this is where we find ourselves. I don't think it's even worth considering the possibility or entertaining the notion that there's anything other than blatant, apparent, objective hypocrisy being displayed on the part of the Democrats when it comes to Keith Ellison versus Brett Kavanaugh. And so the question becomes why. Why don't the Democrats believe Karen Monahan? And the the obvious answer, the really obvious answer, is because of the political utility, right? It's in it's politically inconvenient to address Karen Monahan's accusations against a candidate they have for attorney general, a statewide candidate in this state. That's bad for them. 
And so they're going to ignore it. And there's truth to that. You know, we talked about this uh, a week or so ago, looking back at Harvey Weinstein and the way he responded to those initial accusations of sexual misconduct, his go-to instinctive reaction was to talk about how liberal he is and to talk about how supportive of women's issues he is and to donate to a variety of left-wing organizations. And the reason why that was his instinct is because he knows, he knows historically, looking back, I mean, you look at the example of Bill Clinton, right? Bill Clinton has been accused of sexual misconduct with at least 12 different women, and yet he was elected president of the United States. So there's this precedent that you could, and Ted Kennedy, regarded as the lion of the Senate, even though he played an active role in the death of a woman and did nothing to save her. Totally fine, right? So there's this precedent that you can literally get away with murder, literally get away with rape, and still maintain your status on the left. And Harvey Weinstein knew that, which is why his immediate instinctual reaction to the, to the Me Too accusations, the accusations that started the Me Too movement, his instinctive reaction was to double down on how leftist he is and double down on how committed to the, the Democratic Party he is, because that's cover. He recognizes there's political, there's currency. You actually get, it's kind of like paying penance or, or paying indulgences to get yourself out of hell, right? Like if you can cover your sin just by throwing money at the Democrats, that's how the leftists think. But it didn't work for Harvey Weinstein. His, he had a fatal miscalculation, and his miscalculation was that that dynamic, that transaction, only works insofar as your utility, the utility of what you offer to the left, is greater than the sins you have committed, and greater than the utility of casting you in the role of the villain. And in Harvey Weinstein's case... His political utility was greater as the, the, the heel, the villain of the Me Too movement than it ever could have been as a donor and a bundler and a spokesperson for the left. Now, with Keith Ellison, the calculus is totally different. Keith Ellison's utility is greater as attorney general of Minnesota. It's greater as deputy chair of the Democratic National Committee. It's greater as a national spokesman for the left, a national spokesman for the Democratic Party. And so he gets to be protected. And so, you know, that's the part that's obvious. We, are, we all know that. That's just surface-level observation. It doesn't require any, any deep, profound insight in order to discern that much. But I want to take it a step deeper, just one step deeper, to the, the more fundamental reason why the Democrats won't believe Karen Monaghan or, you know, regardless of whether they believe her, why they won't act as though they believe her or give her allegations the time of day. It's a natural outgrowth of their immoral worldview. It's a natural application of collectivism. Collectivism, by its very nature, subordinates the individual and subordinates the interests of the individual to the needs of the group the needs of the state, the needs of the race, the needs of the tribe, the needs of the church, whatever it is, whatever the collective is, it is superior to the individual, and the individual can and shall be sacrificed for the benefit of the whole, for the greater good, right? And so you know, when you look at 
Harvey Weinstein, his utility, the calculus of his utility was such that he was able to be sacrificed for the benefit of the collective, right? The benefit of the Me Too movement. And in his case, that's fine because it turns out he's a pretty scuzzy guy. We don't really care. But it also applies. They'll also apply that exact same logic and that exact same calculation to somebody like Karen Monahan, a victim or the 12 alleged victims of Bill Clinton. They'll apply that same logic to them because, as we've pointed out many times on the program, they don't actually care. They don't actually care about victims at all. They only care about the political utility that a particular victim's narrative has in a particular moment towards a particular end in achieving their overall social and political agenda. That's what they care about. And again, that's, it's not just the immediate political utility. To them, within their own twisted worldview, their own twisted philosophical perspective, it's actually the correct thing to do. It's actually right. It's actually morally good to sacrifice an inconvenient victim on the altar of social justice. If if they can let Karen Monahan's the crimes against Karen Monahan go unpunished, that's okay. Even if those crimes actually happened, that's totally fine, and it's totally fine to have her abuser elevated to the position of attorney general in the state of Minnesota because it benefits women generally. It benefits the collective it serves the greater good of the progressive cause and if that if that makes you want to go take a shower if it makes you feel particularly scuzzy to realize that this is the kind of people that we're dealing with it should we are dealing with unmitigated evil 651-989-5855 closing argument my name is walter atson twin cities news talk am 11 fm twincitiesnewstalk.com Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Let's go to Jeff in Rosemont. Welcome to the program. Hi, Walter. Hey, I've got a question for you. Um, what do you think of the change to a trial by poll versus trial by jury? You know, I think the real reason why Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed this week is the polls have less than four in ten Americans believing him. I mean, that's awful when you think about what it means for the country if that's the way we're going to start uh, trying someone's guilt or innocence. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible, um, and and it goes into this debate that has emerged in the past couple of days, which really is astounding to me over whether or not we ought to be proceeding as though this is a criminal trial or we ought to be proceeding as though it's a job interview. In reality, it's neither of those things, but but the question seems to be ignoring the full context of what it is that we're witnessing here. We're witnessing a man's life being destroyed before our eyes, almost regardless of what the evidence ends up i mean whatever the fbi says let's just be honest right now whatever the fbi comes up with this week whatever republicans do or do not do this is a a specter that is going to haunt brett kavanaugh for the rest of his life well that's exactly right you know if uh, when you read facebook you see all these things well you would care if it was your daughter well i have daughters i also have sons right. and i believe right. that we're at a point where 
you know, we have to return to the rule of law. If we're going to continue to function as a country, we can't be determining someone's guilt or innocence this way. That's right, and that's why I'm wearing the MAGA hat. I appreciate your call, Jeff, as always. Let's go to Eric in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Hey, bro, how you doing? Doing all right. Good to hear from you. I just touched on a few things. It, it's been madness all week with uh, the point key to the um, – I just want to touch up on BC. Well, you know, Bill Cosby. Now, this guy been in in show business just as long as Weinstein, right? Mm-hmm. About, but only thing different between them two from what we all know, Bill Cosby poisoned them, and Weinstein just flat out raped them. So, uh, I mean, from what everybody's saying. So, Bill Cosby got his time. When Weinstein's going to come up? You know, I don't know. I have not been following the the criminal prosecution or a lack thereof of Harvey Weinstein. I haven't seen any news along those lines. Yeah. I think he did. Didn't he get some charges pushed against yeah, him? I, yeah, but, you know, you know how it goes. They yeah. say it's not black and white, but we're going to see in the coming months. But, hey, that guy, um, um, the guy, um, Brett, Man, he was a good guy, man. I just, I want to just put him out. Man, they need to leave this man and his family alone, man. You know? Yeah. It's a shame, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for your call, Eric. All right, let's talk to Mike in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Uh, Good evening, Walter. Uh, Exceptional opening monologue. Um, You know, I'd never seen it through that paradigm, I guess, because the way my brain works is that you judge an individual by their own merits and right. who they are. Right. And, and, and to see it now through this paradigm mm-hmm. that it's for the collective, you know, yes. maybe, maybe it goes back to, you know, when we read in civics class about all animals are equal, but some are more equal That's right. than others. So, um, it, it, the light bulb went on, but, um, that's what I'm here for. Yes. Yes. Thanks for the enlightenment. Um, are you aware that her father and her grandfather were both CIA? No, I'm talking about Cav- um, uh, Blasey Ford. Uh, it's the first I've heard of it. Yes. Uh, Interesting. Wayne Allen, Wayne Allen Root, who is a national uh, pundit. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yes. And that her brother is a co-founder of um, where the steel dossier came from, Fusion GPS. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Wow, that's coincidental. Yeah, and then of course you know all about the that uh, Mrs. Cavanaugh, uh, Brett's mother, was the presiding judge in the uh, foreclosure, well, the near foreclosure of her parents' home. Oh, of Ford's parents' home. Yeah, I had heard something along those lines. I didn't know if it was substantiated or not. Yeah, and then one other point: I, Were you um, taken by? how the voice didn't match the face. I mean, I almost fell out of my chair when I first heard her voice. You're talking about Blasey Ford? Yes. She she talks in a manner what they call Mm up-talking. She'll say something like, and after the country club, I went to the house. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I started I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I started to watch a breakdown on YouTube of the body language evident by both Ford and Kavanaugh during the hearing. Mm-hmm. And the the couple of minutes that I got into it was not very 
uh, affirming of Dr. Ford and was raising some similar questions in terms of odd body language and vocal uh, issues. Now, you know, I have no expertise in that field, so I can't tell you whether it's whether it's good or bad. But you know, well, the psychology it, behind it is it promotes a sense of vulnerability. Uh-huh. Is, uh huh. Is well, and she certainly indicated an awareness of how psychology works. Right. right. I mean, she Even was. Though she's not a. She's not a clinical psycho- psychologist. Did right. you know that? Yeah, it almost she she almost kind of reminded me of kind of like a, how a hypochondriac is able to to portray a medical expertise that they don't really have. Exactly, <laughs> you know, it's indelible in my hypothalamus. Uh, you know, my yeah, yeah, amygdala yeah. was firing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who talks like that? Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of nutty. All right, I appreciate the call, Mike. Yep. Let's go to the incomparable Max Reimer. Welcome to the program of Kip and Max hey. Save the World. Kippenmax.com. Hey, Walter. Hey. I've been listening to you for the last week here, and I just wanted to chime in because I tweeted earlier in the week that I... Are we losing him? Yeah, we got a yeah. bad signal with you, Max. Any chance you can give us, give us a ring back on a landline? Yeah, he's cutting in and out. We'll have to reconnect with him. Actually, I'll put him on hold. We'll see if we can connect with him after the break. Closing argument, my name is Walter Atson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. All right, there's, there's some lingering angles that people have been trying to take, angles of attack. You know, it's, it's interesting. You, you would think that in the context of trying to assess allegations of sexual misconduct you know at, at at the at best which include attempted rape and at at worst include being the ringleader of a gang rape operation that involved multiple parties 10 of which one of his accusers went to subsequently for some reason she says uh, at any rate, you'd think that in the context of trying to determine the truth about those accusations, the focus would stay pretty much there, right? But now we've drifted. We've drifted into how he drinks. We've drifted into, you know, his his demeanor. And we've drifted into how how he's reacted and whether or not that's appropriate. When, you know, oh, he's so, he's so touchy, isn't he? Isn't he touchy? I don't know if he's up to this job. He seems very, he seems a little angry. I want to touch upon that, but first we're going to give you the the latest on where things stand as the FBI investigation ordered by President Donald Trump into Brett Kavanaugh continues. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Streaming at com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. Also appreciate you searching for us on Facebook. Closing argument with Walter Hudson is the name of our page liking the page and setting it to be notified or to notify you when we post things. We uh, are ramping up our social media engagement. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing the show from Politico. As the FBI rushes to finish an investigation into sexual abuse allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is concentrating all his efforts on the Gang of Three. McConnell's focus right now is entirely on the triumvirate of GOP Senators Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Jeff Flake of Arizona. 
McConnell needs two out of the three to back Kavanaugh in order for the nomination to succeed, and he is walking a fine line in addressing their concerns while continuing to press toward a final Senate vote. McConnell has subtly tweaked his language on the Kavanaugh nomination. He's no longer vowing to plow right through and confirm Kavanaugh as he was just last week, crafting his message instead to appeal to the three Republicans who remain on the fence. The Kentucky Republican is currently planning a move to end debate on the nomination by midweek, forcing a critical procedural vote as early as Friday, which would set up a final vote on Kavanaugh early next week. But that timetable means the FBI investigation must be complete by Wednesday tomorrow, and that's where the situation becomes dicey for McConnell. The Senate will want to vote until the FBI report is, or won't want to vote until the FBI report is completed, according to an agreement reached by undecided senators and GOP leaders. If the FBI doesn't meet that Wednesday deadline tomorrow, McConnell and Senate GOP leaders are likely to wait until the FBI report arrives before moving to end debate and starting the countdown clock on Kavanaugh, if only to avoid alienating Collins, Murkowski, and Flake, according to GOP senators. That could delay the confirmation since Democrats are likely to use their procedural leverage to string out any Kavanaugh vote as long as they can. Senate Republicans believe that if the FBI investigation shows no new information, it will quickly lead to Kavanaugh's confirmation, according to two GOP officials. But they also acknowledge there's some risk in handing off an investigation to the FBI, particularly if there are discrepancies between Kavanaugh's testimony and witness interviews conducted by federal agents. McConnell's deputies were coy on whether the Kentucky Republican would move to end debate before the FBI probe is completed. People need to understand that we've done what's asked, said Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn of Texas. We've asked Flake, Collins, and Murkowski what they need, and this is what they said. So my assumption is once they're satisfied with the results of all the supplemental investigation, they'll be satisfied and go ahead and vote. In the meantime, McConnell's public messaging is partisan, but steers away from heavy-handed rhetoric guaranteeing Kavanaugh's confirmation. That's because McConnell's audience of undecided senators wants to hear deliberative and careful rhetoric down the home stretch. And if the FBI investigation proceeds in a comprehensive manner, top Republicans are convinced the votes will be there for Kavanaugh in the end, no matter what has gone on until then. So uh, I, I like the word dicey that they throw in there. That's exactly how I feel about it. This is a dicey situation. And, you know, we talk, I talked at the end of the show last night about Jeff Flake in particular, how I don't understand how, I mean, I understand where he's coming from, but I don't understand how he got there. He's proceeding as if this is actually a good faith, you know, above board, legitimate process whereby all parties concerned are actually trying to drive at the truth and make a thoughtful decision regarding who should sit on the Supreme Court. And you've got to be a child to believe that. Like, you've got to be naive to the point of you. I mean, forget about being a senator. You shouldn't even have your driver's license if you're this naive and you think that that's the, the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, it's very clear that this is deep partisan warfare of the kind we've rarely seen before. I mean, it's it, it, you know, and that's another thing we talked about last night is the the narrative that a lot of folks on the left are trying to put forward that all of this is normal, that this is all to be expected. Oh, you know, when you put yourself up for, you know, for a public position like Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, you got to expect you're going to come across some criticism. Everything's fair game, really up to and including accusations of being the ringleader of a gang rape operation? I think not. Let's go to your calls. Anthony and St. Paul, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I'm going to say a few things. One, 
Uh, it was just reported uh, by Levin, actually, so I'd say that's pretty credible, that uh, Ford's boyfriend came out and said that on several occasions he's actually seen her coaching uh, friends and coworkers how to pass polygraph tests. So I think that kind of damages her credibility. On top Is this a that, former boyfriend or, or her current husband? Ex-boyfriend. Oh, okay. Um, and a few other things. There's just all these silly allegations coming out now, like, not to, okay, so the so the, the the rape train thing was bad enough, but can you believe how horrible this next one is that came out? They said some lady came out and said sometime in the 1980s, Brett Kavanaugh threw a glass of ice at somebody. That monster! I just let me just tell you, with how silly some of this stuff is, it's just undermining the entire. Uh, it's undermining all the allegations to begin with because. They're gonna, people are going to realize the more silly it gets, they're yeah. obviously grasping at straws. Like, they completely right. got rid of the sexual allegations, right. now, and it's now about him being, you know, like a... Right. I mean, if... if honestly, if, if we're considering accusations as serious as potentially being involved in multiple sequential... Game gang rapes, right? I mean, if if that's what we're talking about, if that's the type of thing that we're investigating, why should we even be talking about or care at all about his drinking habits or whether or not he got in a fight in college or all these little petty things that have been or his his demeanor? Oh, he doesn't seem very nice. Like it's, also, it's astounding. She confessed to a. Is that not a felony? Is she confessed to uh, witnessing like these gang rape trains? And not doing anything about it, but continuing to hang out with these same people. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not a lawyer, but is that not a felony? Knowing that stuff is going on and not doing anything about it. In fact, even the case could be made she could have been partaking in that in all that. It's just a rabbit, It's a can of worms that she really shouldn't have opened up because if Republicans actually grow a spine and investigate this, I think this lady's going in for a lot of time. Well, and the funny thing about her, about the Sweatnick gal, is that she it's come out that she had previous complaints put up forward against her for sexually inappropriate conduct in the workplace, and that she has previously made accusations that were that were uh, retracted in one case and and unsubstantiated uh, in, an, in other cases. And so this is the person, and it's funny because... Avenetti, the lawyer who's representing her and also represents Stormy Daniels, had had defensively responded to the the initial criticism of this story by saying, "Well, don't you think we vet our clients?" Well, clearly not, dude. Clearly not. Avenatti has been very Avenatti. If yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, I hear what you said. All right, appreciate the call as always, Anthony. Let's go to Neil in Maplewood. Welcome to the program. Yeah, how's it going? Great show. Uh, Anthony was kind of stole my little bit of my thunder. I was just gonna, um, I'll just follow up on a sweat, the sweat or sweat Nick or whatever her slime Nick is name. Her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, about, I mean, if you're standing there and you're going to a two, four, five, six, ten, ten different parties and you're seeing, like he said, the gang raping or guys lining up, why in the hell would you? Why would you ever go back? Why wouldn't you report this? Right. Why would you say this? How would you stand there and say, oh, I was there 10 times and I witnessed it. Why would you? This is just, this is just, this is getting on, this is a Saturday Night Live skit. Well, and the most absurd you know? thing about it, 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 the most absurd thing about it isn't the accusation itself. 
It's the fact that it's being taken seriously by people oh, vested exactly. with power in Washington, D.C. The and fact that they're you know, lending her credibility. You're, you're exactly right. And if, and if it comes down to this, even if you were a person sitting there on the right, the left, conservative, whether you're a God hater like the Democrats are or whatever they, whatever they call themselves or whatever I'm going to call them, whether you're a Christian or you're not, if you can stand there and say that this isn't partisan and this isn't about power, then that's a flat outline. Oh, Kavanaugh, he's mean. Oh, I don't like him. I, like you couldn't, you couldn't put Mother Teresa up there, and they probably right. would, they would find something. That's but, right. You know, and, and my last point is, is these people. And my 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 point is, is it's it's about, it's pretty obvious. It's about Trump's appointment. The left is still sore about losing, the uh, Hillary not winning, Trump yeah. winning, yeah. and they're still sore. We know that, and it's about. Almighty power. That's right. That's all it's about, and they're afraid. And this, this is coming from. I'm just not going to go way out there, but this is coming from the pit of hell because they're afraid of the Roe versus Wade being. That's changed. right. And that's that's, right. that's. I'll go to my grave, and if a person doesn't think that that Roe versus Wade is wrong, and they're going to stand before God in judgment. Good luck. Appreciate the call, Neil. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it's. And it's not even speculation. They're saying as much. Everything that Neil just said has been said first by the Democrats. I mean, it's and this is the thing. You know, we I talked quite a bit yesterday about the how disingenuous and illegitimate this whole context is, whereby the Democrats are pretending to give credence, and they are they're pretending to give credence to these accusations. When in actuality, they are motivated by very obvious and declared partisan concerns. You know, what Merrick Garland, the, the resistance, resisting anything that Trump's put forward, you know, trying to, to somehow keep, pack the court in some weird new way, keep, keep the court with only eight justices for the indeterminate future. You know, they've, they've betrayed their motives in other contexts and then they put on this mask of oh we're really concerned about these accusations that have been brought forth and it's it's really gross and really disingenuous 651-989-5855 closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 1130 103.5 fm twin cities Just spotted this during the break. It's apparently tweeted out much earlier today from Elizabeth Landers, who's a CNN reporter working in Washington. She says, Senator Dianne Feinstein indicates that the FBI report on Brett Kavanaugh should not be made public. The quote was, it would seem to me that if people are going to be identified, this ought to be held very close and not. I think the investigation ought to be closely held, she reiterated. Hmm. Sounds like the investigation isn't going the way the Democrats would like. Well, obviously, if they're nitpicking whether or not Brett Kavanaugh threw ice in a bar in college. Hmm. Funny that. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at com. And your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. 651-989-5855 is the number to contribute. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing the show. We are rejoined by Max Reimer from Kip and Max Save the World, found at kipandmax.com. Welcome back to the program, Max. 
<laughs> don't drive around Coon Rapids unless you have a good cell phone plan. I this will is tell true. you that much right now. <laughs> I wanted to make two points. I used to be somewhat of a naive, uh, common value conservative, if you will. If we could only preach to our opponents the right. the values that we have and instill them, and and one day they would come to see the light. I will tell you, Walter, you were on a podcast uh, last week, and yep. I found uh, you move away from that naivety with this situation. I saw a man defending his life's work, defending his character, all because of a fundamental disagreement of sexual ethics and abortion. Yep. We don't have common values. Uh, That's right. I, I have moved, and I tweeted on it, tweeted earlier this week that I have become a we need to destroy the political opponent person. I saw uh, I that tweet. I yeah. see that, but here, here we are. We find ourselves in a situation that it is so dire. We don't have common values. The moving the goalposts, the application, all of that that is going on within this Kavanaugh case should prove to all of us that the only repercussion in any of this that we need to be concerned about is electoral repercussion. Yes. We need to win. That's right. We need to crush. We can acknowledge the humanity in our opponents, but we need to crush them and alienate them politically. That's right. That's the only option we have left. I think that's obvious at this point. So that's what I wanted to call it and kind of make the point about there is no no negotiation. I, I think to your point, Jeff Blake is a if he thinks that this is some kind of genuine effort at getting to the bottom of the truth. Mm-hmm. It is so obvious that it's a political hit job, that they hate us, and that they will never love us, that we need to be aware of that. The only pull point we have in this only battle, if we want to be involved in politics for the rest of our lives, is to win elections and to crush the political opponent. That's right. all we have. Yep. There is no negotiation, I, I, I believe. Yep. No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and I appreciate you calling in to make the point, and uh, we'll we'll have you on the program sometime in the near future. KippenMax.com, folks, for Max Reimer and Kip Christensen. Appreciate it. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, to Max's point, that is where we find ourselves, and let me add some, put some flesh on those bones, because, you know, I, I started off the show during our Facebook live stream, putting on the MAGA hat that I just procured from the Republican Party of Minnesota today. And that's a a pivotal moment for me to put on that hat as the most prolific never-Trump voice within the Republican Party of Minnesota in 2016, going so far as to attend the state uh, central committee meeting in Duluth that year to make the case that activists should be able to withhold their support from the presidential nominee and still be an active part of the party, still help other candidates and what have you. I took that seriously. And here I am two years later putting on the hat. Why? Because of exactly what Max just lined out. Exactly what Max just said. We find ourselves in the midst of a war. We find ourselves in the, in a situation whereby we don't get to have friendly, good faith debates about what policy ought to be in the context of common values and, and rooted in a, a common heritage and common desire for, for a future of liberty and freedom and prosperity. We do not have common values, as Max put it. And in that case, look, 
you know, we'll get into some pieces next hour if if we get around to them about the prospect of a second civil war, Civil War II. Now, I think it's actually highly unlikely that you're going to see people taken to the streets in any sort of organized fashion to to engage in battles with each other in the open field. But a war of sorts is absolutely upon us. Absolutely. And in any as in any such war, the goal is the total neutralization either through surrender or or complete neutering of the opposition to the point where they cannot act effectively to achieve their ends anymore. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. And it's not a good place to be in, but it's a place that we find ourselves. 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. want to get to your calls at 651-989-5855 but before we do there's a point i want to hit regarding the brett kavanaugh situation one of the angles of attack that have been taken by the left against him alongside you know the sexual accusations because apparently that's not enough apparently they've got to make sure that they've they've got their bases covered with uh, lesser but no less voraciously offered criticisms of his character his demeanor his behavior and uh, a couple of these angles of attack are particularly perplexing and i want to address them here at the top of the hour and then we'll go to your calls closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 11 30 fm twin cities news talk.com and your iheart radio app two ways to stream us we're here nine to eleven weeknights you can catch up on past shows by doing a search for closing argument in your iheart radio app and our channel will pop right up for you you can go on Facebook and search for a Closing Argument with Walter Hudson, like our page, set it to notify you when we post things, and uh, that will be a, a great boon. Tell your friends, share things to your friends. We appreciate it. Get the word out. Brad Ullman taking your calls and producing the show. So, yeah, these two angles of attack that I find particularly ridiculous are, one, the notion that Brett Kavanaugh, in his response, you know, in his testimony on Thursday and his overall response to the testimony of Christine Ford and the accusations leveled by her and others of sexual misconduct, that his re- reaction raises questions regarding temperament. You know, I just don't know. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had something to say about this to this effect you know, today or the day before along the lines of, well, I, I just don't think this guy is, is ready for this job. I don't think he's up to it. I mean, this isn't the kind of, you, you know, you look at how angry he was, you look at the reaction and it's just, this isn't the kind of person who you want to have dispassionately judging cases in the Supreme court. Well, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, Taking the temperature of a person's temperament in the context where you have publicly accused them of gang rape or attempted rape and then presumed their guilt and are treating them as if they are, in fact, a rapist and then dragging them out in the most public way possible, a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, and then asking them to answer that. And then, you know, taking that moment as an indication of their overall professional temperament is about as disingenuous as I expect Nancy Pelosi to be. And and yet, you know, this is one of the, the lines of attack that's being offered now, is why he just doesn't have the temper. He's too angry. 
I got to tell you, I'd be pretty angry too, and so would all of you. There is not a single human being on the face of it. Let's imagine for a second. Let's imagine if Brett Kavanaugh had showed up on Thursday and he had been calm, cool, collected, even welcoming of the proceedings. Oh, I'm just, I'm so happy to be here today. I'm really glad to have the opportunity to address Christine Ford's uh, credible allegations against me of uh, attempted rape and sexual misconduct. I didn't do it, but she is awfully credible. Did you get, did, I shed a tear when I listened to her story. It sounded so believable. It's not true, but I mean, she did look good and she sounded good too. Isn't it? Isn't she brave for coming forward with her story today, guys? I think she's pretty brave in spite of the fact that it's a fabrication and it didn't actually happen. Like, if he had done that, if he had come there and been the person that they seem to be asking him to be, we are that would have raised questions as to his temperament. If that's his reaction to being accused of attempted rape 30 years ago, I would be sitting here thinking, I think this guy's crazy. I think he might be nuts. He might be insane. No sane person would react to being a innocent person would react to being accused of sexual misconduct and having their reputation and family destroyed. Nobody would react in that fashion. And so it's a, it's an absurd, utterly absurd expectation that's being put forward. And the other angle of attack that I think is equally absurd is this notion that, well, you know, you guys, you Republicans with your protestations of the presumption of innocence, you know, you're, you're acting as though this is a criminal trial. And this is something that you heard from the Senate Democrats in the Judiciary Committee last week. They, they made a point to talk about how, well, this isn't a trial. This isn't a civil trial. This is a job interview. This is a job interview. You know, and you got pieces. There's a couple of pieces, one from uh, Reason are making this case that, you know, we really ought to be treating uh, – nominees for the Supreme Court as if they're interviewing for a job with a much lower standard in terms of what we're willing to accept that that the burden of proof the burden the responsibility is on the candidate to demonstrate that they're the right person for the job not on the rest of us to prove that they're not well there's one small problem with that argument I and again it's contextual I can't seem to recall a context wherein I or anybody I know or anyone I've heard of to date has ever gone in for a job interview and been accused of a crime. Not just a crime, but something as heinous as attempted rape or gang rape. And then been dr- and had those accusations drug out in the public and put on display for the entire world to see. I can't recall a job interview that involved that. So the circumstances aren't exactly analogous, right? And you know, the, that's the thing is the what's the reason why we have you got to ask yourself just fundamentally why do we have the presumption of innocence? I can't believe I have to ask this question. Isn't it absurd that we've reached a point where we have to actually examine why we even bother with the presumption of innocence? Why? Why do we start? Why do we say, you know, we need to be objective and we can't have any assumptions or presumptions except for one? The one presumption that we have to bring to the table in a criminal proceeding is that the accused is innocent and shall be regarded as innocent until they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Why? Why is that the standard? It occurs to me 
that the reason that's the standard is because of the consequences. It's because of what's at stake. If the person under, under criminal prosecution is convicted of the crime, they are going to face severe consequences. They're going to be put in prison for a period of time or have to face fines or something along those lines. And so the, the consequences are so high and so damaging that we set a burden of proof that reflects the severity of those consequences. So if that's the reasoning, if that's the standard, if that's the principle that's in play, then let's take a look at what the consequences are for Brett Kavanaugh right now. It's far more than whether or not he gets the job. <laughs> oh, you know, worst case scenario, you don't get the job, Brett. Sorry, you just get to go back to being a, a law professor and a, a, a lower court federal judge and coaching girls basketball. Except, no, he doesn't. He doesn't get to do any of that. From the Daily Wire, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh was slated to teach a course on the Supreme Court at Harvard next spring. But he's declined after a concerted effort on the part of alumni and current students to have his invitation rescinded. The New York Post reports that hundreds of alumni pinned a letter joining a chorus of student detractors begging Harvard's administration to cancel what appears to be an annual lecture conducted by the current D.C. Circuit judge, who just so happens to be Brett Kavanaugh. We believe that Judge Kavanaugh's appointment as an HLS lecturer sends a message to law students, and in particular female students, that powerful men are above the law, and that obstructive, inappropriate behavior will be rewarded, says the published letter from alumni. Judge Kavanaugh is not leadership material, and he is not lectureship material. HLS would be tarnished to have him on campus in any position of authority. Now this, folks, is a consequence. This is a consequence. Not, not his, his reputation is being destroyed. His opportunities are being rescinded. His life hangs in the balance in every meaningful way. And so in that context, setting forward a burden of proof as high as presumption of innocence and beyond a reasonable doubt seems to make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me, even though, yes, technically it's not a criminal trial. 651-989-5855. Let's go to Kathy in Plymouth. Thanks for holding. Hello? Yep. Hi. Yes, I just uh, thought I'd let you know what I I encountered uh, Keith Ellison at a neighborhood event that was taking place actually on the north side of Minneapolis. And he showed up at this event and uh, and I just stood there. There were a couple of other people uh, talking to him, and I just stood there to listen. And, you know, besides uh, wanting to support the immigrants that are, that are coming in, uh, one of the things that he was talking about is that he had talked to, I couldn't remember if it was his brother or his son, but I, you said that his son sits on the city, uh, Minneapolis City Council, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So a light bulb went off, and that's why I called, is that um, during this conversation that he was having, he, he said that, you know what, we really need to do and try to figure out is how to get voting mobiles, like a blood mobile right. or a, <laughs> a blood mobile right. or a book yeah. mobile. Yeah. And all I could think is, I mean, I have no idea if it's, if it's legal or not, 
But I'm thinking instead of taking the voters to yeah the bring polls, the ballot box to them, yeah. Yes, and all I could think is a fraud mobile. That's right. You know, they have all of those ballots, you know, going around the city and around the state. I mean, I just it just frightens me the thought of that. So I I don't know, but I found it very disturbing, and that's really all I had to say. Except that I thought that your opening comments were brilliant. I mean, I'd never really thought about it and the way. The way that you had described it. Well, I'm happy to have helped you out in that regard and appreciate you listening to the program, Kathy. Yeah, we opened up the show tonight talking about the fact that the reason, the deeper underlying reason why the Democrats are displaying a double standard when it comes to Brett Kavanaugh versus Keith Ellison, yes, it's motivated by partisan politics. Yes, it's because of the political utility and the inconvenience of Keith Ellison, the deputy chair of the DNC, and their, their current candidate for attorney general in Minnesota to be accused of physical abuse by a former girlfriend. All of that is true. But the deeper reason for the double standard is because it is a natural, totally instinctive application of their fundamental worldview, collectivism. Collectivism, by its very nature, subordinates the individual to the group and so karen monahan even if her accusations are true even if she really is a victim she gets to be sacrificed morally in their view properly in their view she gets to be sacrificed on the altar of the cause because the cause and the group and the tribe is more important than her and more important than any individual victim, Juanita Broderick or any of the other 11 alleged victims of Bill Clinton included. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, Talk.com. News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Let's go straight back to your calls. Tom in Bloomington, welcome to the program. Hey, Walter. Hey. Good show. I loved your opening argument there. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. It's sad, though, what they're doing to him. I mean, it's judgment already. But yeah. you, you brought up an important point about his demeanor or his temperament. Right. Don't they have 300 cases to measure him by? <laughs> right. Yes. That's, that's not enough. Right. Yeah. Don't they have an entire career? You know, don't they have people they could talk to about like, hey, what's this guy's attitude like when he's actually conducting himself in the court? They act like he doesn't have a career. You know, right. they act like nothing. He hasn't been involved with jurisprudence his whole professional life. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Because it keeps getting referred to in the way that you put it, and I thought, man, they got all of these cases they can right. reference. Yeah. And well, not, even, not even conservatives are referencing it, and I think that's poor defense for him because he deserves to be judged based on those. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I appreciate the call, Tom. You know, we Max Reimer called in earlier, and he talked about how the 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 left uh, is is – at war with us and they're, they're treating us in a certain way. And he, he brought up the, the notion of interacting with people on the left and what have you in the, the moment that we find ourselves in. And it brought to mind for me, as I listened to him talk about it, how in my interactions with leftists, even those with whom I'm friendly, 
my Democrat friends, in my interactions with them, there has always been this underlying palpable disdain in their demeanor towards me. I can tell they don't really like me. I can tell. It comes off in their body language. It comes off in their condescension, in their voice, in, the way, in their, their attitude. They have, they have a sense of moral superiority. And, the, you know, look, they could say the exact same thing about me, right? They could, absolutely. But the difference is, and this is a crucial difference, and it sounds like it's just, oh, that you're just being motivated by partisan bias, but genuinely, objectively, I, let's, let's lay out the case, lay out the reasoning. The difference is my disdain for their position is legitimate. My disdain from where they're coming from is more. In other words, they're acting the, towards us the way we should be acting towards them. They're treating us the way we should be treating them. When they look, call us evil and call us despicable, you know, what was it? Deplorables was the word they came up with for Trump supporters in the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton came up with that. The, the way in which they regard us, you know, our, largely our criticism of them or our response to that has been something to the effect of, you know, taking offense, being like, oh, how dare, like, how can you? How, how could you possibly say that about your fellow Americans, your fellow neighbors? And then you'll get, you know, the Jeff Flakes of the world who are like folks in the, you know, John McCain's of the world, rest in peace, who will say things along the lines of, oh, we just, we've got to elevate the discourse. We've got to get to a point where, you know, we're treating each other like human beings. We're treating each other like, like neighbors who care and what have you. But that's not the proper response. The proper response is to turn it around on them. And call them out and be like, wait a minute, you're projecting right now. Like, you're the one who's evil. You're the one. Look, here are the list of things that you're against. Life, liberty, and the unfettered pursuit of happiness, just to name three. Kind of a big deal, each and every one of those. You're against them. I can go down your entire platform and point for point, it's an attack on one, if not all three of those. So maybe you're the one who's deplorable. Maybe you're the one who's despicable. Maybe you're the one who's a moral blight on our society and ought to be opposed and deplatformed and excluded and condemned and excused from polite society. Let's talk to Claire in Rosemont. Welcome to the program. Hi, Claire. Hi, Hi, Walter. How are you going? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Okay. I'm calling to ask if this is possibly with Dr. Kavanaugh and um, with Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford that she couldn't possibly be a deep state operative. And I'll tell you why I'm I'm saying this. Um, she is a professor at Stanford, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so isn't Stanford the, the doesn't Stanford have a recruiting operation for the CIA for undercover agents there aren't a lot of under don't a lot of yeah. undercover agents um, are recruited through Stanford you got me I have very okay. little knowledge of CIA recruiting tactics okay well what what if dr. Ford is in charge or part of that recruiting program 
Okay. Well, that would be something, but I've seen okay. nothing to that effect. I know that. No, I know that. But in the event that she is, and because of her, her father's and brother's ties with the CIA, and the brother, I believe, is, is kind of loosely tied to the, uh, to the fusion. Um, yeah. I, I've, that's a, I've heard that earlier tonight too, and I haven't I haven't seen any substantiation, but that would certainly be revealing context, would it not? Okay, okay, Walter. I think that you you are a precise wordsmith. Um, I truly enjoy your your intellectual pursuit of uh, a subject, and I'm charging you to look into the fact that <laughs> of the, the Stanford CIA. Her father and her brother, and what what possible punishment for her to do this? What possible punishment w- would there be for her to lie or to be part of this when she's connected? I mean, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna happen to her, absolutely nothing. And I, I just it just it stinks. The whole her whole scenario just absolutely stinks. And I don't know how you can um, justify her performance uh, at the hearing and her being a, you know, a CIA rec- uh, recruiter for the CIA. Uh, this woman sounded like a, um, a kindergarten school teacher. Uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. So wow. I... I, I just don't buy it, Walter, and I'm I'm asking you to please uh, look into it. All right. I'm on the case. $100 a day plus expenses. Appreciate the call, Claire. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035-FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Been having uh, fun, might be the wrong word, but it's it's one descriptor of many that applies to our ongoing conversation, our ongoing group therapy. I think that's a large part of what this has become in the last week or so a group therapy session in the context of everything that's going on with Brett Kavanaugh and the larger war, total war that's been declared by the left on our institutions and on all that's good and decent in American society. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omland taking those calls and producing the show. Let's talk to Greg in Columbia Heights. Thanks for holding. Hey, yeah, thanks, Walter. Hey, let me run this little, uh, well, fun maybe, but a little delicious scenario past you real quick here. And in a world now apparently where the left wants to uh, say, hey, you're guilty. We're going to accuse you. You're guilty, obviously. You're going to have to prove your innocence. Well, let's just let's play this out a little bit. Uh, turnabout tit-tat, as they say. Turnabout's fair play. When Sometime down the road, when there's another Democrat president and probably putting in maybe another woman mm-hmm. into the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. what are the chances of um, somebody coming forward and saying, you know, when she was younger, she babysat her first. You know, she was a teenager, about 13, 14, and we noticed that she was doing um, something to one of our little boys, our little seven-year-old. I think she has a predilection mm. to um, the male uh, uh, genitalia. Right. What's to prevent that from happening, you leftist? Oh, well, 
and, and you know, I I think if you're looking for some sort of rational response, of course, you're not going to get it, right? right. But here's the thing: is in in line with the the observation that I started out with the program with tonight. Even though it seems as though they're crazy, and sometimes they are, right. sometimes they absolutely are, there is a method to their madness. Correct. And the method to their madness is, like, like I said at the outset, that they, they their root philosophical motivation is collectivism. And yep. so they're not primarily concerned with whether or not a particular thing did or did not happen. What they're concerned with is whether or not the advancement of a particular claim serves the the perceived needs of the collective or in their view serves the cause of social justice. Right. And so if if you're talking about a future nominee to the Supreme Court who is expected to rule in such a way as it upholds and advances the social justice cause, then of course that person would be protected with everything that they have to bear. Yep, but uh you know what uh Sometimes you have to fight fire with fire. I and agree. You know what? If it takes a little bit of immorality, or no, not immorality, but a lack of moral fortitude, just to show, just to push it back in their face. You know. Well, I mean, it, the thing is, though, and this is the beauty of it: is we, we don't have to betray our principles. Like right. what we're doing is we're when we when we talk about fighting fire with fire. I'm talking about fighting the anger with anger, but the difference is it's, and this is one of the narratives that's frustrated me over the last few days is that there's this, there's been people who have tried to be above it all and who have tried to characterize this situation as here go the partisans again. You know, everybody there's been polling to the effect that that shows that a majority of Republicans think, you know, Kavanaugh is right. And a majority of Democrats think Christine Ford is right. Surprise, surprise, right? And isn't yeah. this, isn't that just prima facie evidence of the horrible partisanship in our politics? But that's, that is a corollary that is completely beside the point of who's telling the truth. Right. What is actually correct here? What is actually right? Who is actually standing up? For the principles that undergird our American jurisprudence, such as the presumption of innocence, right. such and, as due process, right, and because and even the truth, and and we find out across all the world, all the other systems, you know, remember capitalism is the worst, except for all the rest of them. All the other systems never survived at all because they never had any truth to begin with. So when you destroy truth, it will destroy every society right. at some point. Right. And and I don't understand why leftists don't understand that. And that's our weapon of choice, is the truth. I appreciate the call, Greg. Let's talk to Rob in Egan. Welcome to the program. Hey. So, you know, just to kind of dovetail on what you were just talking about, when uh, Cory Booker was talking about, um, I believe your truth, he said, to Yeah, uh, right. That was just kind of classic. Your truth. Isn't right. just one truth? You know? So, anyway, I guess truth now, you know, it depends on what side well, you're on. See, but I, that, I want but... to talk a little bit about... John McCain. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. They made him out to be a hero. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have a lot of inside info. My dad was a pilot in Vietnam. He was a test pilot. He was an instructor pilot when McCain came through. And they knew him, and he was a cocky little prick. And my dad <laughs> wow. never said one bad thing about anybody. But that was one guy he didn't like. And he said he made that clear because of the way he acted. And he was privileged, the way he went through pilot training. And he was the last in his class. And you tell me how many guys go through pilot training 
or I should I should say get through college. They're in the last of the class. He was actually one of the last, like the last three. I don't think he was absolutely last, but he mm-hmm. goes and gets a gig to fly hot jets. Tell me how that works, because that's not the way it works in the military. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, he, I guess what really bugs me is that Trump knew all the crap that's in his background and made a little comment about, hey, he's not a hero, really. But, you know, he's made out to be that way, and everybody jumped down his throat. Well, let me tell you a little things about what he was trying to allude to. He killed 164 men on the USS Forrestal. They transferred him to the Oriskany. He was doing what's called a wet start, where you pump fuel into the engine and you do a, you light the burners and you make a fireball on the flight deck, you know, a little cocky. You know, John McCain wants to act like, a, you know, a big shot. Well, he, he knocked the Zuni missile off an F-4 sitting on, behind him on the flight deck, and it hit a weapons cache and blew up, killed 164 sailors. So his dad goes and transfers him to the Forrestal, or to the Oriskany, I should say. He got it. You know how many combat missions that guy flew? Hmm. 20. You know how many medals he had? Hmm. 24. My dad flew 123 missions and had six medals. It's a joke. But anyway, Trump was alluding to the fact that he got shot down because he didn't know what he was doing. He was on a mission he shouldn't have been on. He came in under the wrong coordinates, got shot down. He went into, they knew who he was. He went to the hospital. He came back to the Peel camp, and he was all bandaged up, and his arms were all, he didn't know how to bail out, so he didn't tuck when he got, when he punched out of the airplane. He flew an F3, flew an A4. So, you know, he comes in there, and all these other guys are tortured. He was never tortured. I Anyway, I appreciate you. I, could go I, on I just and on about that, but the thing that really bugs me is people—they want to get down and they want to say, "Oh, Trump, you don't know what the hell you're talking about." He did. See, I know what I'm talking about. And when people went out and made him up, okay, that's the end of that. We had we, you got to keep the language under control. And and frankly, I don't know how this became a, a giant rant on the poor character of John McCain. John McCain died six weeks ago. Have you been living under a rock? And not to mention the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit off topic and I, I can't substantiate any of the things that were brought to bear by Rob there on the call in terms of the calling into question. I mean, I've heard the Farstall story before. I never heard anybody indicate that John McCain was responsible for it. And so that that seems a little incredible to me. But uh, suffice it to say, my gripe with John McCain and again. You know, that as Brad rightfully points out, this is a guy who is four four weeks deceased. My gripe with him is not over whether or not he probably ought to be regarded as a hero or whether or not uh, he he deserves our respect and admiration for certain deeds and certain aspects. Remember, you know, we're the side that doesn't demand that you be some sort of saint in order to be revered. It's the left that wants to tear down the monuments and rename the lakes and rename the streets because they find something that's wrong with somebody who, is, who it's named after. You know, we recognize that the reason why we hold somebody in high regard is because of a particular stance that they took or a particular achievement or accomplishment they made or a series of achievements or accomplishments that they made in their lives. And, you know, that applies to John McCain. My issue with him is the same issue I have with Jeff Flake. It's the same issue I have with Lisa Murkowski. And it's the same issue I have with Susan Collins. And that's that these people fail to recognize the moment that we're in. This is not a, a debate club. This is not a high school debate club. This is a war whereby a concerted effort is being put forward to undermine and erode the integrity of our institutions. 
permanently to create a circumstance whereby you cannot oppose the left culturally or politically. In other words, to establish a dictatorship in the United States of America. And that's unacceptable, and we need to fight them with all we've got, which you know those particular senators aforementioned are not doing. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Atson, 651-989-5855, the number to join us. If you're so inclined in this final segment of our show this evening, let's go to Mike in Farmington. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for taking my call, Walter. Of course. You know, I really, I, I really admire and appreciate what Brett Kavanaugh did because he didn't hold his tent down and quit. And I know that the left was was hoping that he was going to do that. And um, I actually feel real confident, you know, he's going to get the seat. And sometimes, what's the saying? The best revenge is winning. Right. I think he's I think he's going to win. But there's something that was that's really disturbing that's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you saw it in Jeff uh, Blake's eyes. What a simp this guy is. He just folded like a wet dish towel when these women ambushed him. Yeah. And yeah. anybody who watches this stuff knows it's interesting. The cameras are all there. This right. is all crafted right. and set up. Right. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is how feminism has been weaponized. You've noticed there's there many discussions, at least on the outlets I've listened to, where, well, we can't have these white guys or these senators questioning you know, well, these women. Wait mm-hmm. a minute, ladies. Didn't you want equal rights and equal treatment? Mm-hmm. They've taken this feminist thing, and men are now kind of put at a disadvantage. doesn't mean you have to treat women poorly, but they should have to undergo the same rigorous right. type of questioning that Mr. Kavanaugh has to undergo. But see, but see, Mike, there you go, applying a rational standard and actually taking them at their word that they actually mean what they say. In point of fact, they're not looking for equality. They're looking for what they regard to be equity. They're looking for social justice. And social justice is not an equation. Social justice is not a scenario whereby we take two disparately treated classes of people and equalize them in some way. What it is, is it's a reversal. It's a flipping of the script, a reversing of the roles, whereby now men get to walk behind the women, you know, metaphorically. That's what they, they what they want. They want a world where, you know, there was a, I guess, uh, Steve Bannon made some stupid comment about how women are going to take over the world uh, it, under the the Me Too movement, and you know, one of my lefty friends on social media tweeted tweeted it out or posted on Facebook with some comment to the effect of, "Well, can you guys get on this? Can we get on this the the scenario where women take over the world? I want to really want to see that happen." Now it was tongue in cheek, but not by much because in actuality that is what they want, right? Like they want to see they want white people to shut up they especially want white men to shut up they want cisgendered people to shut up you know if you're where whatever place you hold on the social justice hierarchy they want to flip that script so that the the high will be brought low and the low will be lifted high well men have you know what men out there you have ceded some of your responsibility you've kind of just 
left some of this ground to be taken by women. And um, the other thing is this lack of this this lack of awareness of what's going on. I'll leave you this with this quick. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Just recently, in point of fact. Okay, there's a scene in there where Butch has left his gang for some period of time, and he comes back with Sundance, and he has to fight. Yeah. One of the members of the gang right. to regain his status. Yep. And, and Butch knows exactly what the rules are. There are no rules. Right. <laughs> right. And the Republicans need to learn this too. Yep. Yep. I appreciate it, Mike. Appreciate you calling in as uh, per usual. You know, I wanted to share with you guys on our way out of the show this evening what I had hoped was going to be a non political, apolitical moment. You know, I've been making this concerted effort. I'm trying to incrementally shift my political engagement on Facebook in particular over to the Closing Argument with Walter Hudson Facebook page rather than my own personal stream. You know, because I've, I've always just done everything on my own personal page. And I got a bunch of, bunch of friends on my personal page who I don't actually know at all. I just know them through politics and know them through this show and what have you. And I'm trying to shift that over to, to, keep, to, to segregate, to keep the political stuff on the show page and to keep my personal page more personal stuff. And so to that end, I threw up what I thought was a nice non-political you know, kind of social post. And the post was a picture that my father-in-law, who is not on Facebook to his credit, had sent to, you know, the, the rest of us, to family, primarily for the sake of his grandchildren, who are young, you know, single-digit ages, of a fish that he caught. And it was a sturgeon on the smaller side, you know, it wasn't a beastly sturgeon by any stretch of the imagination, but of course there are people who go their entire lives trying to catch sturgeon and never catch one. So it was noteworthy. And he took a picture of it and he sent this picture to, to the family. And I thought it would be, it was cool. And so I shared it on social media and I was like, and I made some, you know, quippy comment along the lines of, I don't know what this thing is. It looks like some sort of cryptozoological mystery, you know? And I had people, commenting i mean for the most part the engagement was exactly what you would expect right you know the, just kind of small talk about fish and fishing and sturgeon and how cool they look and how big they get and this that and the other thing that's what you would expect with a post like that but i got a handful of people who came on there and started talking about how you know that's a protected species you know if it's if it's under a certain length you're you're supposed to throw those back you know you're supposed to tag those if you take them out of the water for any length of time and and I just, I was, I, I, I put up some comments to the effect of settle down deputy game wardens. What, what, did, what part of this was me asking you for either legal advice or social commentary? And it seemed to me to be indicative of the moment. Now, look, I have to, to date, I haven't talked to my father-in-law about it. But I have no idea whether you threw the fish back or what the scenario, what happened to the fish, you know. And people will ask you, where were you? Where was that caught? And they were like investigating it. Get over yourselves. This is the state that we live in. And I'll tell you what, if 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 I was if we were all at a party and I brought up the fact that my father-in-law caught a fish and people started interrogating me along those lines, I would kick them out of my house. And that's the kind of standard that I employ in social media as well. People are risking getting unfriended. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.